Welcome to Campwire. Today we will be discussing MESH during the time of COVID-19. MESH is an acronym for mental, emotional, and social health. My guest today is one of my favorite subject matter experts on resilience. Many of our listeners may have uh, may know her from her keynote presentations and educational sessions at the ACA National Conference, Tri-State Camp Conference, and regional conferences coast to coast. Dr. Deborah Goboa is known to many of us as Dr. G, and I'm delighted she will be providing her insight with us today. My name is John Beitner, and I am the Professional Development Manager for ACA's Western Region. So first of all, Dr. G, may I call you Debbie? Sure, absolutely. Hi, John. How are you? Good, good, good. So we, we, we talk to each other uh, every once in a while with first names, so I hope you don't mind me calling you Debbie. So please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became connected to the camping community. I became connected to the camping community when I was two years old, and my parents put me on a bus for day camp. Uh, and I've been, and really, like, that's, I'm a family physician. I work with um, underserved folks, uh, mostly kids, but also their parents and sometimes their grandparents as a family doctor. I'm an MD and I see patients clinically and I teach at the medical school here in Pittsburgh. But about ooh, 10 years ago, I got started as a resilience speaker because what I found in my practice is that I can hopefully do people some good by listening to them, helping them with diagnosis and treatment options. But the thing that really makes a difference, the biggest determinant of people's health is actually their resilience. So I thought I need to understand more about what that is and how we encourage it, how we build it, and how we teach it to kids. That really sparked my interest and this other career. And I got connected to the camp community because actually someone said to me in a television interview is there one thing that parents could do that would give all kids resilience and I said yes send them to camp and that made me think you know this is an industry that's already been working so hard on resilience let's name it and make sure that people understand what this value is well uh, I believe that camp in 2020 will look very different. Um, so today we'll be discussing MESH, and again, that's mental, emotional, social health at camp in the time of COVID-19. But I think that you know next year will be uh, an opportunity for a lot of camps to work with campers and deal with MESH issues as well. So I think this has longer shelf life than just when we're recording this right now in May of 2020. I think that there's- Absolutely, because some camps yeah. won't be working with campers in person this summer, but these issues, summer of 2021, is going to look different as well, whether you have camp in 2020 or you don't. Absolutely, absolutely. So what are some of the additional challenges you predict participants will face this summer? Not every camp has had to or had the opportunity to spend a lot of time learning about what's called trauma-informed care. Trauma-informed care, to put at its most simple, but I think elegant, is how we take care of people when we know for sure that they've been through something that really fundamentally changed them. And so when we get kids to camp after this pandemic experience, whenever it is, we know that they've been through a, an experience that changed them. We won't know how exactly. It'll be different for every child to some degree, but they will all have been through something that really has a before and an after in their mind. Yeah, a trauma-informed care is something that uh, a lot of camps are starting to look into 
Um, and I think that that relates to uh, ACEs of uh, adolescent challenges. Um, what, what was, what's gonna be special this year with regard to uh, things like social distancing and you know, caregivers wearing masks and, and disruption to, to traditions and things like that? So everyone is gonna have both the challenge of camp feeling remarkably different and the opportunity of figuring out why is camp worth it anyway whether that camp is virtual this year and in person next year or in person this year you know one of the things that my kids whose camp hasn't decided yet if it's happening or not have all been talking about is what what changes would they be able to put up with to get to go to camp and so far their answer is pretty much anything to get to be in the place with any of the people who feel like camp to them, they've basically said, yep, camp could be entirely different. And if I, if I got to do that, it would still be worth it. Yeah. So figuring out how we live our camp mission out loud and how camp impacts kids and what the good is when we have to strip away a lot of what we always think of as making camp camp. So if that's the singing together and this summer we can't sing together in the same way, or if that's the hugging each other and this summer we can't hug the way we're used to, or if those things that we think we couldn't do without are stripped away, one of the real opportunities there is that we're gonna to get to see the value and the longevity and the persistence of what camp does for kids, even when the parameters have changed entirely. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that love of all of that is uh, causing such an explosion of creativity right now um, to, to get to as close an experience as we can. It is absolutely amazing how people aged 16 through 86 are coming up with ways to get the oxytocin and the dopamine and the serotonin of camp, all the yeah. good feels of camp over thousands of miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we when we think about COVID nineteen, I think we we always think about outbreaks happening here and there. Will there be special um, things to consider about mental health if there was an outbreak of COVID nineteen at one of these programs? Absolutely, there is. So one of the first things that I think any camp that's going to happen this year or next year is going to have to consider is where are our kids coming from geographically, and what have they been through. Um, so who's been lost in their family, in their community, in their region, in terms of lives lost, certainly, but also in terms of connections lost. The, the thing that most kids say about camp, day camp and overnight camp, is that it's where they go to most feel like themselves. Yeah. And children and teenagers are right now experiencing themselves entirely differently. They have more support some of them than they've experienced before in their you know in their older kid memory from their families because they're spending a lot more time together and doing things that's only them and a lot less in-person support from their friends and other trusted adults so they've also had to sort of strip down and figure out what they're made of and that experience for a lot of kids has meant a great deal of loss if we're going to have coronavirus hit a camp and we are 
it is absolutely the case that we have to think about when we have positive cases in 2020 and in 2021, not just if, but when we have positive cases, then the problem with that that we really need to consider ahead of time is that it starts to turn people to look at each other, the people that they're in the same room with, that they're in the same group with, that they're in the same transportation with, with distrust yeah. and fear. Yeah, I agree. We see it now just trying to get through a grocery store. Uh, people are avoiding each other as if, um, you know, you're going to give me the plague if I brush up against you. Now imagine that, you know, or, or, or maybe take it to a house of worship where people have a longer standing relationship yeah. and they know some about each other and then they find out that somebody, and because of privacy laws, they may not know who has an infection, all of a sudden everyone's looking at each other completely differently than they had been before. And one of the things that we can do that I really want to encourage people to consider beforehand is to really front load expectations of campers, of staff, and of families with what if anybody's ever seen me speak at one of the conferences they know I call when not if language when we have a positive case at camp when we have a positive case in a family member of someone who's at camp when we have positive cases in the larger community here's what we're going to do I don't want any camp to feel like when there are positive cases they've somehow failed you're not stronger than a microscopic virus you're not and you've had illness, contagious illness, dangerous illness at camp every summer you've ever had a camp. Yeah. Well, this, this one feels a little bit different because it's so easy to uh, transmit. How can we help staff with the extra, the, the extra stress that comes along with being on heightened alert all the time? For example, there were these areas of uh, camp that used to seem low key that are gonna require <laughs> hypervigilance this year. It's absolutely true. And I wanna say that I know that this is a different situation than we've experienced before with coronavirus, but we've had MRSA outbreaks at camps, yeah. right? Skin touch MRSA outbreaks, and we've had other situations. So I just mean to call on camp leadership expertise and say, I know that this feels like an entirely brand new world because it is, but you do have a skill set in this area. You have taught your counselors before about infection control and better hygiene, and you have worked to light a fire under them to make them more vigilant and more concerned. In some ways, this will probably be a little bit easier. So although, yes, we absolutely have to deal with people's anxiety, uh, we aren't going to have to work as hard to make them vigilant because the circumstances have conspired to make them vigilant. The answer to your question, your really good question about that level of anxiety is with empathy and gratitude and clear expectations. Very much like every hard thing that we ask staff to do at camp, we need to have empathy for how difficult it is for them, gratitude for the effort that they're giving us and them showing up and them seeing that the mission is worth it and being involved, and then really clear expectations. These are the things that we must do. And just like we've said, for example, Every child, and this isn't true at every summer camp, but every child has to be wearing a hat. Every child has to have their water bottle. Every child must have sunscreen. Now we're saying every child has to wear a mask, if that's what you're saying at your camp. And if it is, you have taught your staff to do things just like this. So you already have some skills, you know a little bit about what does work and a little bit about what doesn't work in your camp culture to make those changes happen. Excellent. 
Well, a moment ago, you were talking about if, when uh, communications. What do you suggest for uh, pre-arrival messaging for parents? Pre-arrival messaging for parents has to talk about what is in our control and what isn't in our control. We have created, I think, in the camp world, and I should just say my own camp cred. I've been a day camper and an overnight camper. I've been a day camp counselor and unit head. I've been an overnight camp counselor and unit head and head staff and camp doctor. And I've been a day camp parent and an overnight camp parent. So I've seen camp from a lot of different lenses. And we have created this sort of false narrative to parents that we control everything at camp, that once we have your kids, we are both omnipotent and omniscient in those worlds, and we've got all, you know, we've got it. We've got everything. We never did. Bad things can happen for sure. And this is a time where we will earn more credibility with families by saying what we know and what we don't know, and what we can control and what we can't. I want families to self-select. If their camp is available, I only want families with informed consent. That's a medical term that we use so that you don't say yes to something until you really know for sure what you're saying yes to. I want them to know what camps can do and will do and also what camps recognize they can't do. And then I as a parent get to decide if it's a level of risk I can live with. And I imagine parents will want to hear from camps during a program. Uh, can you can you give us some advice on during program messaging? I think that it's totally reasonable to say to parents, here's how often we will communicate with you while things are steady, and here's when you will hear from us when we have a problem. Because, as is true every summer, it's going to be even more true in 2020 and in 2021 that all of your extra effort and attention and energy is going to have to be at camp. And unless you're lucky enough and have enough foresight and funding to have a family care person, someone who is a parent liaison position, it's going to be really hard to carve out more time than you ever have for communications back to families. Even even if they are desperate for it, we may not have the capacity to give it to them. Right. So being upfront about you're going to hear from us whatever your normal is, or maybe if you can up it one from normal. So if you would normally reach out once a week, you say we will reach out twice a week when everything is stable, when there is a problem, you know, when there is an infection, when there is a sick kid, whatever, this is what we will do. And then to be really clear too in your expectation setting that you will uh, give as much information as is legal. You're not going to break anybody's confidentiality because you can't. And, but you're going to, but that you know that knowledge is power and you're so cognizant of the trust they're placing in you. And so you want them to know what the level of risk is at. I talked to a camp director who said to me really clearly, listen, if I'm reading these numbers right, the risk is still higher that a child's going to die on the bus ride up to camp than from coronavirus. And I said, yeah, for the group you're describing, the situation you've got, that's absolutely accurate. But we have a perception right now that a child carrying this, and, and for some families, that risk is too high. Some families have someone who is medically fragile at home or some other circumstances where they absolutely cannot risk a child coming home carrying coronavirus. 2020 is probably not their year to send their kid to camp. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean if your camp can afford to run and meet the guidelines and all that, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's nobody that can. 
but informed consent is the answers. Parents have to know everything we know and everything that we're pretty sure we cannot control as well. Do you, do you imagine, I mean, I, I like to think of whenever you hit an obstacle, you look for an opportunity. Do you think that we should uh, have some post-program messaging, especially if things go well? I think that, I, you know, John, because of some of the, the talks that I've done for conferences that you've run, I think every time camps can engage with families is an opportunity for relationship building, retention building, and resilience building. I want them to know how you order your sun butter and how much you ordered. Not because I want parents to have um, be in the weeds with you about should you or shouldn't you, but because I want you to brag about all of the back end work you're doing and give them a chance to have fun with it. You know, have the Instagram story contest where if you can correctly guess how many pounds of flour we order for the entire summer, <laughs> you win a hat. Uh, because every time we show people the back end they go oh wow you also do that i yeah. hadn't thought of that every time you go to one of these webinars or you listen to a podcast or you do anything to become an even more knowledgeable youth development expert i want you to be posting that i want you to be shouting that out because many parents not only don't they know they don't even think about it yeah it doesn't yeah. even occur to them that that might be something that you're doing I think they're learning a lot about what teachers have to do. Right? Yes. So maybe maybe they'll extend that to what, what goes into creating a camp, you know, that's fun and safe and everything. Yes, uh, and I'm doing a I'm doing an international program next week for parents who feel like they're about to transition from stay-at-home teacher to stay-at-home camp counselor, <laughs> and how totally um, ill-prepared they feel and probably are many of us for that transition. There's a lot of skill and experience that goes into pulling it off. Um, Absolutely. So my, my compliments to everyone who's listening, who's able to pull it off. Um, so thinking about um, this, this kind of new normal, and I know that's used too much these days, but do you expect bonding between participants and, and making friends and that sort of thing to be easier or harder this summer? I, I don't actually expect it to be either easier or harder, although it will be different. Going through something difficult together is bonding. And I expect that there will be lots of kids and staff on the first day of staff training or the first day of campers who are just telling you how this can't work. And you've got to have something in your camp mission or your camp cheer or your camp song to go back to to be like, hey, you know, here at, at Double X Ranch Camp, we and they all know the words, right? We make it work, or we help each other, or whatever the, the mission is, whatever the call to action is. Because, and, John, think about all the camp stories you've heard about the people who, as young adults or older adults, remember best the group where it was the summer where it rained every day, yep. or the bad tornado damage, yep. or the camper who got sick we bond more tightly during difficult circumstances. And that opportunity for them to be with peers when they haven't been with these peers for a long time, and when they saw that it really might get taken away or it was taken away and now that opportunity is back, I think one of the things we have to think about is how much more they'll value it. I, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, and I. I expect there to be um, a different intensity to interpersonal relations this year. 
what is what is your your kind of normal advice when you know that interpersonal relationship intensity is going to go up? What do you what do you recommend to camp directors? Being that intentional, that much more intentional than you've ever been about boundary setting. When you know, is it is it possible? And I think one of the places a lot of us have struggled to imagine the first day of camp and kids rushing up to each other and stopping six feet away. But having those really clear boundaries, one of the camps that I was talking to recently for there, they, they have a whole group of neurodiverse kids that they're really worried about this. They're going to run the program. Uh, it's a day camp, day camp um, but they're really worried about this. So the very first thing they're going to do is they're going to equip each of their neurodiverse campers with a three-foot pool noodle and say, run up to your friend and touch the ends of your pool noodle. Can't get closer than that, but give them, and then their first activity is having the kids each trace their hand. Uh, the hand will get cut out. They get to color the hand and stick it on the end of the pool noodle, and they can high-five each other. Oh, that's smart. And that's, you know, to make those boundaries really concrete for a group of kids that might really struggle day-to-day, minute-to-minute-to-minute, to keep in mind what the boundaries are supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's such a clear example of that creativity we were talking about before. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, what do you what do you expect to happen with regard to conflict? Do you think that we'll see increased or decreased levels of conflict? And what do, will we need to modify our conflict resolution techniques at all? There are going to be a few conflict resolution techniques that camps are used to using that aren't going to work so much. You know, the like if if you have a hug it out kind of thing. If the kids want to do that, that's not going to work. If you're inclined to say, why don't the two of you go sit on that bench and talk it through away from everybody for a minute, that may not work. But I think we have to consider that this strain that kids have gone through has shifted their perspective, but we can't know how. One of the things that my kids have been doing at our own dinner table is they created a code word for when they start to have a conflict And one of the people in the conflict thinks that they're not actually arguing about whatever they're arguing about. So they picked a random word. They picked thyroid, go figure, (laughs) doctor's kids, whatever. Uh, But it's not a word they use in general conversation. So it seems to work for them. So like if one of my kids starts to argue with another one about, you know, you always chew with your mouth open, but it seems too intense or out of character or doesn't make sense to them, Mike, another kid in the conflict will say, thyroid? Like, is this really about something else? And that's actually diffused a bunch of conflict. Certainly not all of it. Please don't get me wrong. But building tools like that, where kids get to say to each other, hey, I get that you are feeling something that you don't like, but I'm not sure it's about this thing that we're actually talking about. What an amazing skill. Yeah, that's terrific. I, I hope that we'll replicate that in camps all over the place. That's, that's really smart technique. Um, I keep hearing this term pods. They're going to, they're going to group everyone in pods and stay in your pod and that sort of thing. <laughs> what, what suggestions do you have for community building with this new kind of notion of this is our pod and we're not going to interact with any other pods and, and things like that? 
I really, some of it's going to depend on the guidelines and what your camp's rules are about not interacting. Uh, there's a camp that I've worked with in Wisconsin in years past who have a boys camp and a girls camp and they share certain facilities, but they have for years made sure that the kids don't cross during that time. So the kids are really getting a single gender camping experience, even though they share some physical facilities at different times during the day. So if your pods are such that you're working that these kids don't even see each other across a field, then it's really just gonna be like very small camp groups, whatever that means to you. If you have guidelines that say, we can only get so close to the people who are in our pods, everybody else we can only interact with across a field, then this might be the summer that a lot of camps start learning semaphore. You remember that language that's made up entirely of flags? Yeah. Right? And I think that might be really kind of cool. Yeah. Right? This might be the summer where Amazon runs low on flags, on semaphore flags. Or, or, or we, we learn large gesture American Sign Language from... As an American Sign Language interpreter, I can tell you, I think that would be fantastic. From the far side of the field. Yeah, um, absolutely. The, we might be investing in better sound systems because we don't want to yell yeah. uh, and it's hard to yell behind a mask, but you can't yell without a mask because we know that there's some risk to that. So we're going to need a pretty good outdoor sound system. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't know all the amazing solutions we're going to hear from camps by this time next year, but I know that there are going to be so many more than any one person could come up with because camp is absolutely about forming relationships and We've done that in a couple of ways for a really long time. I think we're about to discover that there are all kinds of other ways. I think some camps may very well end up with a pen pal system this summer within their actual camp. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Nice, nice throwback to it. One of the solutions that I think uh, that, I've, that I've heard camps are talking about is help, having the kids help out with keeping things sanitary. So they might ask kids to wipe down equipment after use, things like that. Do you think this additional responsibility will be helpful or problematic? Will it? Oh, no. I think it's really helpful. Okay, good. I think it's really helpful, just in exactly the same way that so many people have gone away to camp or gone to day camp and come home with skills that their parents didn't realize they could or would take on. Um, Michael Thompson wrote a great article for, I think it was the New York Times Sunday magazine years ago about... Uh, it was right when his book Homesick and Happy was coming out, and he wrote this article about how 19-year-olds can get kids to do things that their parents would never dream of trying to teach them. <laughs> and, you know, I myself have a friend who never went to overnight camp. His two twin daughters went because his wife said, trust me, it's the right thing to do. They came home. They were 11 years old. They came home at the end of two weeks. He was so excited to see them. They're having dinner in the kitchen. Um, he gets up after dinner to start clearing up. And one of his daughters gets up to help him. And he said, you know, and I was like, I almost said, sit down, it's your first night home. But she'd never done it before. So I was kind of dumbstruck and said, and then I realized, like, just shush. And he let her help. And then he took out the broom to sweep the kitchen. And his other daughter popped up and said, Dad, you're sweeping wrong. And he said, <laughs> then started to argue with her and then bit my tongue and realized I should shush and sit down. And her, his other daughter swept the entire kitchen. He said, I didn't know she knew what a broom was. <laughs> so 
this opportunity for kids to learn more skills, especially skills that will be needed in any after-school program that they go to, in any scouting they might be involved in, in any youth group that they're a part of, in their school, in their home. We aren't doing them any kind of a disservice when we help them learn to control the things they can control. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that leads to my next idea of like, how can we maximize the benefit to participants who are really looking out for one another in new ways? They're really taking care of the safety of others to a higher level than they might have in the past. One of the best things we can do this summer for kids and for staff is to name these skills, name these challenges, and talk really overtly about coping mechanisms. There's a coping mechanism activity that I have in a summer camp staff training packet that I always encourage the staff who do it with me to use with their campers when they get their campers, whether it's day camp or overnight camp, that involves kids making a list of every single thing they've ever done to change the way they were feeling when they didn't like how they were feeling, including the not so admirable things, um, yelling at my brother, walking away from my mom, snatching something that somebody else has, like but also all the all the things that they think are admirable or all the things that they that are just nice you know playing a video game listening to music creating art doing playing a game exercise everything as long a list as they can and then we go through that list and say scratch out all the things that are damaging to you or somebody else now what you're left with is your neutral and positive coping mechanisms. And I don't even mean dangerous if you did it 24-7. I mean dangerous if you did it at all. Because most coping mechanisms work only in moderation. Exercise, great example. Very few people would argue that that was a positive coping mechanism, but you can't do it for 17 hours a day. So anything that you do in moderation that's neutral or positive, and then, when I'm doing this with staff, I say, now circle all the ones you can do at your job, at camp. And now you've got a list that I want you to keep adding onto all summer long of your neutral and positive coping mechanisms in this situation. When you're doing it with campers, I would encourage you to take that middle list and mark C for camp and H for home and S for school so the kids can come up with different lists, but long, long lists of everything they can do to help them change how they're feeling. That's one of the ways that kids learn self-regulation. So that's an example of how you can do an activity at camp this summer that maybe you've never done before that's gonna really help kids feel stronger at camp and be much stronger when they get back home. Absolutely, absolutely. Now. <clears throat> Those are excellent you know, guidelines for, for identifying your coping strategies, but sometimes um, the most extreme one is dealing with the loss of a loved one. And there could be participants this summer who have lost a loved one to this disease. Is there anything additional that we should be prepared to do for those people? I want to start by saying that a lot of people listening will say, well, I've had kids at camp before who in the, in the, school season before that summer lost a loved one. Most camps have had the experience of a kid coming to camp who's just lost a parent, a sibling, um, or someone a little further out from them emotionally. This is a little different because if you lost a loved one during the school year to cancer or an accident, it's unlikely that every single day at camp, kids and staff were talking about cancer or accidents. Right. So we have to consider the fact that 
all of these necessary important conversations we're having are going to be triggering for different kids in different ways and even the kids who haven't we hope that you know it's very few who've been through that but even the kids who haven't lost a loved one many of them probably have a parent or a loved one who's an essential worker who's in the healthcare field or the trucking industry or some other job where they are putting themselves at risk regularly and that child would like to stop worrying about them for a little while and can't get away from it. So just like every other thing about campers, we have to remember that we don't know what we don't know, pay attention to their cues and ask good questions and listen to the answers. It might be that some of your campers would really benefit from some like coronavirus for conversation free zones yeah you know they'd like to know that we're just not going to talk about this in the if it's an overnight camp in the two hours before bedtime or we talk about it in the mornings at camp but we don't talk about it in the afternoons that seems like a smart way to manage it so um we talked a little bit about uh people you know that we normally interact with that now we're suspicious of because they're in our house of worship or in our grocery store or something like that. What, did, what advice do you have for people with increased anxiety about contracting the disease while at camp? People who are, have a sufficient anxiety level about that aren't gonna come to camp. Who we're worried about really in this conversation is the people who I think it's probably worth it, but they're not sure. Yeah. Or, they sign up for camp, they come to camp, and their anxiety goes up as the summer goes on rather than down, based on you know, lots of different factors. So then it's like anything else, like dealing with homesickness or dealing with um, any other you know, performance anxiety or any other anxiety that a kid feels being afraid to get in the water. It's very real, and it's very real to them. But what we have to remember is this is something, when a camper comes to camp and they're afraid of getting in the water, probably the people who are helping them deal with it hopefully have some training and some empathy, but they themselves are probably not any longer scared of getting in the water. Now, we have kids coming to camp who are, and I hope you can hear the, the bicycle bells jingling in the background. I'm doing this, doing, having our conversation with you outside because my kids are distance learning in the house and that turns out to be a louder and more boisterous experience than you might imagine. Yeah, in any case. It's charming because there's a bird that, that sings every once in a while. I thought you just had a really good sound effects CD that you were practicing. <laughs> um, I, I might practice with Zoom backgrounds. I haven't made it as far as outdoor noises yet. Audio, audio backgrounds. Right. So in any case, now, instead of being able to have someone who has empathy for that anxiety, but isn't experiencing it, talking to that child or that staff member, chances are whoever that child or staff member is talking to, they're also worried about this. And it can be a lot harder to help someone with their anxiety when they're triggering your own. Yeah. So remember, just like they say in, in every, if you can cast your mind back to air travel, um, in every safety video, you've got to put on your own oxygen mask first. You've got to, before you enter into that conversation or continue that conversation, if you land in it, you got to make sure you're the right person in the right moment to have that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you, you mentioned homesickness, and that's a, a kind of a traditional concept around going off to camp. Um, and sometimes those kids have trouble sleeping. What, what 
good advice do you normally give to people uh, who are managing sleep challenges with their participants? You can't mandate sleep. <laughs> if it were to tell a child to go to sleep, or even to tell yourself to go to sleep, insomnia wouldn't really be a thing. So one of the things that, again, it's a question of helping a child or an adult control what they can control. Because I can see also staff members who are going to have some trouble sleeping this summer. Yeah. And so reminding people to control what they can control and to work on strategies that help them feel rested whether they're able to sleep or not. When we take, and this is true medically also, when we take the pressure off of sleeping and put it on relaxation and resting, which we can choose to do, we have a lot more success. Not 100%, but a lot more success. It gets them to that calmer state. Maybe sleeping will be uh, an easier uh, thought yeah. once that happens. That's great. And if you say to them, I don't need you to sleep, I just need you to rest, so I want to help you relax, then also, just like everything we do at camp, we're arming kids with tools that they can use when they're not at camp. Because if this child has trouble sleeping because of their anxiety at camp, they have trouble sleeping at home too. Yeah. So what responses might be triggered by changes to beloved traditions or an elevated concern for safety? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea what you could possibly be talking about <laughs> since everyone at camp loves change and never pushes back when we get rid of their <laughs> beloved traditions that's never been a problem ever so so i think it's really important to remember that change when it fits our mission is the right thing to do so you your camp has a mission and i have been encouraging the camps that i work with to figure out your mission for this summer take your actual mission you're not changing it but put it in the context in which you're you're in this year and so, you know, if your mission was to give um, children ages 4 to 16 uh, valuable outdoor experiences that build their independence, their confidence, and their love of the environment, then your mission for this year might be to do that as it is safe and appropriate to do so. Right? So you might, you're just adding in that, that tagline to remind everybody that the context has changed. Yep. And then every change that comes up, every question that comes up, that feels like a hard decision, all you have to do is run it through that mission. And if it supports your mission, then you're doing the right thing. And you can own that. Everybody who says, but we always sleep touching the foot of the person next to us on the first night of camp. You can be like, yes, what a cool memory. And then go to the feeling. How does that make you feel? What is it about that that supports your experience at camp? Now, put it back on the campers and the staff, be creative. What can we do within the boundaries of keeping each other safe that give that same feeling or a similar feeling or support that same part of the mission? Excellent advice. Uh, all right, so you're a camp parent, even if, you're, I am. Your, kids, if your kids are staff age, uh, and you're still- I, I have mean, three campers and one staff. That's awesome. <laughs> all right, <laughs> so camp mom, what is on your mind as we get closer to summer? Um, it's maybe not fair to make me represent every parent because <laughs> I have such a clear understanding of the epidemiology and the transmission and the risk of coronavirus as compared to the mental health risks to my kids and, if camp and is and off. Camp, and a camp person, you're, you're, you're really doing right, all things. Right, camp. 
I, camp doesn't stress me at all. The lack of camp stresses me in general, right? Not in this particular situation, but also I come from such a place of privilege of knowing that my kids will be safe and have some opportunities for connection and fun and purpose if they don't have camp this summer that I'm just, I'm just not in the same position that a lot of folks are in. Yeah. Camp, we know camp does lots of great things for kids, but I think as a parent, I just keep thinking, okay, I don't know what my kids' camps are going to decide. If my kids' camps decide that they're going to have camp and I'm reasonably comfortable with their safety precautions, I'm probably going to send them. I have to talk to my kid's dad and see if he would feel the same way. Yeah. But if we don't send them, what I've been thinking about is how can I get them experiences that build their independence, their connection, their sense of purpose, and their fun because that's what they tell me they get from camp. It's the same as your, you know, let's replace the toe touching uh, yeah. activity. You know, how do yeah. I get to that same result? All right. So what, what can we say to parents who are uh, seeking a promise of safety for their child? Um, we have acceptable risk in so many different things. I mentioned the bus ride up to camp. Yeah. Um, if you wouldn't ever put your child in the bus, if you had to know that they would for sure not ever be in an accident because accidents happen. And now we know that there are, there's an infectious disease that nobody's immune to, that they may very well catch at camp. So what I have to say is you've got to look at your situation, your child's health, your immediate family's health, your willingness if you're sending them to an overnight camp that when they come back, you might ask them to quarantine in the house for a certain period of time, all of that, and say, is this our year? And then if your camp can, abiding by state and local and federal guidelines, and social and emotional well-being have camp and you trust them and it seems like a reasonable risk, you're going to do what you've always done as a parent, which is evaluate the situation, know your kid, you're an expert in your kid, and figure out, is this our year? Let's, let's talk a little bit about staff. So some camps are planning to ask staff members not to go into town on their time off. Um, what do you... What do you want supervisors to consider as they develop those plans? I want them to be really clear ahead of time with their staff. These are the boundaries. And if you can't, if that sounds too restrictive to you or too stifling to you, it's not your year. Please don't come to camp yeah. because you cannot be worried about staff pushing back on rules this year but you probably need fewer staff than you thought you would this year because camps are gonna have to get smaller in most cases. So at least the silver lining, the opportunity there is that you can narrow down and not have the staff who are skeptical of the rules. That's true, that's true. So a hallmark for camp staff seems to be the summer roaming. Any advice around this with the notion of, you know, remaining in your pod and that sort of thing? Yeah, that this is really going to be a, um, an opportunity to know for sure if you've gotten to know somebody from six feet away for the entire summer, you'll really know if, you wanna, if you're ready to take that step and be intimate with them after camp is over, because that's got to be a hard and fast rule in, in ways that it, it probably never has been for most camps, and it just has to be. So I don't mean to say that these relationships aren't true, deep, meaningful, and long-lasting, but they're going to have to start in a distanced way. It's going to be like a, I don't know, an 1850s Victorian courtship. I think you're, I think you're right when you say to really front load those expectations with about what time off will look like, 
in what normal like fraternization is going to look like this summer. What other difficult conversations are you predicting? I really want camp leadership to say to families, to campers, and to staff, we are going to be super restrictive this year. We don't even know some of the frustrating rules we're going to have to put into place yet. So brace yourself because we're telling you what we do know, but it's going to get worse. It's going to get even harder. So set the expectation that you haven't even listed everything. It's not like, well, if you can live with everything on this list, there won't be anything more. There will. Should camp schedule time to intentionally discuss people's fears and hopes around coronavirus, even if there isn't like a trained facilitator or therapist? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're really going to have to. However, please do your best to get somebody available to you virtually or on call from your camp community or from the ACA's list of resources because you shouldn't have to try and take on yet another job. You can't become a licensed clinical social worker or a psychiatrist this summer any more than you've been ready to any other summer. Everybody's got to have their area of expertise. So if your camp is in a situation that you can't afford that kind of a person at camp or you know 24 7 on call I totally understand but when you have those intentional meetings please don't set yourself up to open a Pandora's box and then not know what to do with everything that flies out yeah good point good point but I think uh, there's gonna be moments when people really want to get some of this off their chest and discuss it it's one of the best things about campus that you can talk about what's real for you talk about difficult stuff um, how about um, what's, what's your like typical advice to camp directors who are helping manage someone who says, I'm worried? Empathy, gratitude, clear expectations. Okay. Um, so empathy for their worry, not telling somebody how to feel or how not to feel or what they should be grateful for. None of that is useful. When we tell people how they should feel, oh, you should be happy or you should be relieved. When we tell them how not to feel, you shouldn't be upset. What we're saying is basically, John, your feelings are dumb. Have these other feelings instead. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So we talked a little bit about helping people calm down before uh, lights out and that sort of thing. Do you have any specific mindfulness techniques that you like to recommend to camp directors? Our campers are now much more expert in mindfulness than any other generation of kids has <laughs> ever been. Right? They've been doing mindfulness at home and at preschool and at camp and at school. And so I think just like you might take turns having kids be song leaders or story leaders or do, you know, do things on the job wheel, you can ask kids to be mindfulness leaders That's so smart. that they can try different activities that they've learned or that they've tried or that they enjoy. I like it. I like it. So I, I also like this, this concept of if you want to be uplifted, try to uplift someone else. Do you have any final thoughts on how to extract the most positivity out of this situation? Everybody who comes to camp this summer is even more likely to be somebody who desperately wants to be there. Yeah. So asking them really intentionally, since I've heard a lot of people say, you know, some of the activities we usually do, we're not going to be able to do. What will we do? Well, I think one of the things we'll do is, the pace at camp will also slow down a little bit. There may be more time for relaxation, for mindfulness, for figuring out ways to give back to the community in which your camp sits or to other members of the camp community, even if you're distanced from them or other people in your group or yourself. And those opportunities, there's a lot to be said for that. 
So I wouldn't worry too much about the fact that you now can't play tag and think instead, if we could really slow things down at camp because, and other times when people have tried to slow things down at camp, they said, but, but campers and parents expect all of these activities to happen every week. Well, now we get to say, hey, nobody expects all of their expectations to be met in terms of facilities or activities. So how about in terms of learning and growth? So it's such an important part of camp. Well, thank you very much. This has been amazing. Um, I, I hope that we really have an opportunity to step up our empathy and our gratitude um, in the local uh, motorcycle club. That's in right, exactly. Definitely in my neighborhood. That's um, urban living for you. It is urban living. And I'm, I know that, you know, for a while, camp directors have been concerned about screen addiction, but I think kids have... Uh, what was that? I have no idea. That was, a great, that was like a prehistoric creature or something like that. Um, so I think that, that for a while we've been worried about screen addiction, but now we've got kids with screen fatigue. And yes, wait for sure. With, with people in person. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's absolutely true. So from my urban street corner, I just want to say, whatever you're doing this summer about camp, remember that your camp is a living, breathing thing. And your kids, if they're with you this summer, they're interested to see what it could possibly be like now. And I think they'll be more open-minded than they've been before. Well, thank you again. Thank you. I sincerely appreciate your time in this incredibly busy uh, time right now. Uh, for CampWire, follow us on ACA Camps on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. CampWire is available on Spotify and iTunes. And Debbie, it has been such a pleasure to speak with you today. And I hope that I get to see you in New Orleans in February. Boy, me too. Take care, everybody.